Welcome to Torah on the Go. We're so glad that you're taking a moment from your day, whether you are on your Peloton bike or the Stairmaster or sitting in traffic or sitting at work right now, uh, trying to avoid doing work. We are glad that you're with us. I'm sitting here right now at work, out of the building, enjoying the morning with Rabbi Feinstein. Good morning, Rabbi. Good morning. Good morning. So this episode, we're going to center around a question that was sent to us all the way from Dallas. I'm doing my best. Larry King. All the way from Dallas, Joel Batalski, who watches everything that we do at VBS, and we're so grateful, writes us the question, how does the concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart challenge our understanding of free will and divine intervention? Uh, Great question, Joel. And I'm going to take that question to mean that you are following along right now in the Torah readings and the Parshiot. I'm going to try to just change it a little bit to make it fit into the way that we are running the podcast for Genesis, the season of Genesis of Sefer Breshit. We actually meet Pharaoh long before the hardening of the heart and the plagues. We meet him once during the Abraham narrative. Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt. We meet him in the Joseph narrative. Joseph goes down. Neither of those Pharaohs is the Pharaoh of the plagues and the Exodus story. Mm -hmm. right? And so we encounter the Pharaoh of the Exodus story, who's a different person, who begins to look at the Jewish people differently. So here we are, three different people, presumably. Presumably, it's a different person between Abraham and Joseph because enough time has passed. The Torah never tells us the names of Pharaoh, only tells us the title, Pharaoh, mm -hmm. right? And there's this great midrash that if you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew letters of Paro, right? Um, of course, uh, Pharaoh comes from the, the Egyptian god Ra, right? The sun god. He's a descendant of the sun god. And so, uh, but in Hebrew, you rearrange the letters and it says, Ra Po, right? Evil is here. Evil lives here. So whether you be the good pharaoh or the bad pharaoh, this is a, a position in life. This is a this is a figure that we should be very careful with. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, evil emerges out of that character, and we have the Exodus story, and we have the the question that Joel has asked, and we're going to get to Joel's question in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. How do you think of the the pharaoh character? As you think of the broad narrative of, of Genesis and you think of the Exodus narrative, how do you think of Pharaoh? Well, the, the Genesis Pharaoh, the one that meets Joseph, um, he's, a, he's, he's a relatively benign fellow. I mean, you know, Joseph is brought up from the prison because Pharaoh has a dream, has two dreams he can't understand. And Joseph does something remarkable. Joseph tells him the meaning of the dreams. And then he does one more thing. He gives him a policy. He gives him something to do. And the Pharaoh recognizes this is a brilliant kid. He gave me something to do. And so he elevates Joseph into the prime minister and he tolerates that. And then later on in the story, he's going to meet Jacob. He's going to meet the old man. And you get a sense of a rather benign leader who's well ready to welcome foreigners into his country. It's the new Pharaoh, the one that we meet at the beginning of Exodus. Um, the archaeologists tell us it was actually a different nation. Uh, that he represents a different nation. He's the one who comes at this with fear. It says he, he sees all these, uh, uh, he sees these Israelites and he's worried that they're going to rise up against him. And he begins this policy of limited genocide and then more, more, more extensive. extensive genocide uh, out of this paranoia, out of this fear. And he's the, he is the Pora. He's the evil. He's the evil. He's the evil one. And then the following one, there's a third one, 
which is the one that Moses is going to meet. Remember, because that Pharaoh dies and Moses is allowed to come back to Egypt because the Pharaoh had died. And that's the one that gets the plagues. And that's the one who challenges God. This, I, this is the ponytail Pharaoh from, from uh, the Ten Commandments, well, from Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. So that's a very important point. That's a very important point. The Bible never tells us what characters look like. You know, it tells us that David was ruddy, but doesn't tell us much about Moses or Pharaoh. So a director chooses an actor and posts him in that act in that, in that role. And right away, that interprets the role. Right. So, you know, Charlton Heston is Moses, you know, as comes off as this powerful fellow. But Moses says the Torah was Anav Mikolish. He was the most humble of all men. Um, and then this Pharaoh, Yul Brynner. Now, Yul Brynner, when I was a kid, he was in The King and I. And no matter what role he ever played, he always played the king and I. I'm the king of Siam, you know. And, he, you know, this giant man with this pony, bald head with a ponytail and never wore an undershirt. You know, his giant chest. He was in Westerns also and he, he never wore a shirt. Same, just a leather he jacket. like the king of Siam. That's even right. if he was in this, <laughs> the Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent you know? Seven. Yeah. He was great in Magnificent But here's the problem. That kind of evil is an in-your-face evil. Could be. Certainly an interpretation. But what if instead, what if instead, actually, interesting, because when Jeffrey Katzenberg cast the voices for Prince of Egypt, he chose Ray Fiennes, who's a whole different character. What if that kind of evil isn't in your face strong evil, but a weak man, a small man, who's trying to live up to his father's example, trying to sit on his father's throne and wear his father's shoes. And so he is an inadequate man trying to be, trying to project the image of strength. In other words, Danny DeVito, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, a snivelly man or a Jack Nicholson, a kind of slimy kind of evil. It's a very different character if you think about different actors who could play that. And we automatically cast people. When yeah. we, we cast the characters of, the, of sure. the Hebrew Bible in our minds when we're reading it, you yeah. know, as we, as we read the narratives. Yeah. Yul Brenner and, and eventually Rabbi Feinstein and I will do, a, will do a podcast on The Magnificent Seven. Yul Brenner really... If you close your eyes and just listen to his voice and listen yes. to Charleston, Charlton Heston's voice, right. in so many ways, their voices are iconic. You don't even have to watch the movie to right. understand to understand the, the power of the scenery. Right. And in here, the Torah agrees because in the Torah, we only hear their voices. Right. Their voices are iconic. Pharaoh carries with Pharaoh this transition. It's Pharaoh who recognizes us as a, as a, as a nation. Yeah. It, we never recognize ourselves as a nation. We're always the children of Israel. Right. But Pharaoh, for the first time, calls us, I'm, I'm, I'm Nora. We're, we're, a, we're, a, we're a large, mighty people in his eyes. Yeah. In our eyes, we're, we're cousins living in Goshen. Right. We're cousins <laughs> right. living in Goshen. Right. And so there is a discrepancy. And the Torah explains to us the way that Pharaoh sees us more than, than I mean, there's, another, there's another character that we see ourselves through their eyes, right? And that's the story of, of Balak and Bilam. We see ourselves through the eyes of a, a foreign prophet. Mm -hmm. Pharaoh and the foreign prophet are the only two others that we get to share their perspective in the entire Torah. Well, Yitro also. Yitro also, but uh, yeah, he's a positive, positive other. Yeah, he's a You're good right. guy. He's a, he's good, a good guy, guy right. And, and, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see ourselves through the eyes of another, mm -hmm. through the eyes of another. Right, and it's paranoia. It's paranoia that brings him to this. And then we have the contest. I mean, the story uh, of the plagues, for example, is a contest between God and the Pharaoh. 
And, you know, this guy is he begins the, the contest by saying, I don't know who this God is. I never heard of this God. Right. And Moses says, you, you will. <laughs> and, and then you have this 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 ongoing story, this extensive story. You know, if God really wanted us out of Egypt, what do you, you don't need? Ten plagues. You know, one would have done it. But even even without one, I mean, if that's what God really wanted. But there was something else going on here. There's a narrative about what happens when a human being challenges the laws of God. Now, I talked about, now we're going to come back to Joel's question. I talked a little bit about the hardening of the heart and Joel a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I talked, into, I talked about our experience with people on a, on a, on a human basis. Yeah. How we deal with human nature. And, and I don't know about you, but... but it always feels to me like the people who come into my office for the intake for a funeral mm-hmm. aren't the same people who stand up and walk around the block, let's say, traditional sense. That's how Shiva ends. You stand from Shiva after seven days. You walk around the block. And we could say that those people are, they've accepted. They've accepted what's happened. They've accepted this tragedy that, that, uh, that their loved one is no longer living on this earth. Or we can interpret it and say that they've hardened in a certain way to the reality. Mm-hmm. That Pharaoh, over the course of the of the ten plagues, his heart hardens to the reality of blood in the water or frogs, meaning to say, if frogs came back a second time, he would accept this reality. This is this is a he could live with frogs. It has to be ratcheted up every time, so that he is vulnerable mm-hmm. to this new to this new natural disaster. Yeah. To this new special effect, because in many ways, that's what the 10 plagues are. The 10 plagues are God breaking nature and entering a world of special effects to show the wonder and the glory that is the divine. And we see it through the Ten Commandments. All of us can close our eyes and see the the the, the waters parting. Yeah. Uh, but Pharaoh, the hardening of his heart, um, I don't read it as the stripping of choice. I don't see it at that. Mm-hmm. That's never how I read the text. I understand Joel's question 100% in terms of divine intervention and free will. And are we allowed choice or does God strip Pharaoh of the, of, of the ability to choose? Because we actually see Pharaoh choose to negotiate several times during the text. He does come to his senses and say, after the third plague, after the seventh plague, maybe we should sit down and negotiate this. Maybe there's a way to keep you as slaves and allow you to do what you want. And we also see the hardening of his heart and we see Moses gain confidence. Mm-hmm. One could make the argument that the plagues affect Moses as much as they affect Pharaoh. Sure. Right? The plagues are just as much for the Jewish people to understand that we could simply stand and walk out. Right? We have to remember Moses was a boy who was raised and then simply walked out of Egypt. He had within him the strength of character to leave. Mm -hmm. And we don't know the story of any other Jews who left. So eventually, Moses had to convince the entire Jewish people that we can walk out of here, nobody's going to stop us. Your your taskmasters aren't going to chase you out into the wilderness. Right, 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 right. So to bring it all back, first of all, thank you, Joel, for for allowing us this point to talk about a little bit of Exodus in our in our season of of, of Genesis of Brachy. Yeah. And also the hardening of the heart. Do you think it strips us of free will, or do you think it actually um, just reflects the the na- the human nature of it all that? Uh, after we're faced with challenge, we, we, we grow callous. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think. I, I asked my father this question, and he had a really wonderful answer. One of the events that shaped me as a person was a war that America fought when I was a teenager in a place called Vietnam. 
the Vietnam War was not like the Iraq invasion or the Afghanistan invasion. At, the, at its height, there were 550,000 American troops in Vietnam. Every young man in the country um, was under the specter of the draft. Uh, and at a certain point, they instituted a lottery. And that was the day that you, you, your fate was chosen. You ask any man my age, and just ask him this number, what was your number? And they were, I'm, I'm 152, which meant, and that year was, was actually, I didn't get drafted. My roommate in college was number seven and had a whole different experience. We all knew friends who went to Vietnam. We all knew friends who never came back. We all knew friends who came back addicted to drugs, deeply depressed, deeply what we call today PTSD. Vietnam was a nightmare. And what's so interesting is that the government kept this war going. There were huge protests starting in 1968 against the war. And for the first time, it was on TV every yeah, single night. Right, every single night. And they told us we were winning every single night, but it didn't seem... And what happened was it, it, later on, you know, the, 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 the memoirs and the autobiographies and the histories came out. And it turns out that people like Robert McNamara uh, and Colin Powell, for example, who were involved in the creation of this war, knew early on in 1967, 1968, this was futile. It wasn't accomplishing what America wanted to accomplish. Even Lyndon Johnson, the president, had his doubts about this, but he kept pushing forward. They kept pushing forward. There's a place where a political leader has established a policy and so invested himself in that policy, he can't back out. That's what hardening the heart is. Pharaoh puts himself up as a god. Pharaoh says, I'm not gonna let these slaves go. It doesn't matter how many times he gets whacked. He can't back out. He just can't back out. Even at a point, I think it's after the seventh or eighth plague, where the generals or the leaders of Egypt come to him and say, let him go. Right. We're all dead men. Right. Let him go. And he can't back out. The same thing happened to Lyndon Johnson. The, 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 the generals came to him and said, this war is unwinnable. Everyone knows this war is unwinnable. You're just sacrificing and 55,000 Americans died in that war. I mean... You can't back out. This is a parable about political leadership and its utter failure. So you read it as the hardening of a position. Yeah. You read it as the hardening of a of a, of a stance. And, and perhaps that's the greatest difference between the Pharaoh of Exodus and the Pharaoh of Genesis. The Pharaoh of Genesis asks Joseph, what should I do? Right, right. What should I do? Right. And it doesn't compromise his authority to accept advice from a guy he just fished out of prison. Right. You know, who's a foreigner. Right. In fact, it enhances because he now controls the world food policy. Right. 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 So th so it is a juxtaposition of two different pharaohs in the contrast of two different styles of leadership. Right. Both of them carry the title pharaoh, which 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 complicates matters even further to say that there is hope for even pharaoh. Right. That the title of a pharaoh is as evil as we think it is, that a new person putting on that hat mm. could be different. Well, and, and the, Torah hold, the Torah holds that place. And there's a glimpse. When Pharaoh, after the 10th plague, he's lost his firstborn and all the firstborn of Egypt. And he calls Moses in the middle of the night and says, get out of my land. Take your people with you. And then the last line of that sentence is, and bless me too. Right. I mean, there's this little glimpse of humanity through the mask right. of authority and power, 
bless me too. It, it's unbelievable. The, 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 if you just study from a literary point of view, the Torah is so beautiful. Yeah. You, you have these, you have these little, these little phrases, the, the, the 10 plagues, they, they absolutely bring Pharaoh to his knees and they get this point of humility is thrown in. And then, and then it also, it emboldens Moses to such a point where after the ninth plague, where Pharaoh says, if you ever see my face again, you'll be a dead man. Moses says, Ken Shadibarta. It's the most it, it it's the most gangster line of the whole Torah, right? right? <laughs> yeah. you, you, you've spoken the truth, but yeah. we're never gonna see each other again. Right. You will you will be destroyed. Ken Shadibarta. So we have these we have these two figures who are not only diametrically opposed, but they're on they're on very different trajectories right. through the plagues. And and Joseph and Pharaoh come together, and Moses and Pharaoh you know, drive one another apart. And I want to thank Joel for the inspiration. Right, but I, I you know, I, I, want to, I want to drive home the moral of the story because I think that the moral story is really relevant and, and it speaks to me. There is a law of history, just like there's a law of gravity, you know, and the law of history is human beings need to be free and find dignity. And if you create a circumstance in a culture which denies that, you can be successful for a while, <laughs> but eventually you're going to bring plagues upon yourself. You throw babies into the Nile, a river of blood throws, you know, flows through your world. You, you, just, you try to destroy a people. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very painful thing to know this. I mean, because we, we think that we have complete immunity in making these decisions or impunity in making these decisions. But what the Torah is trying to say is that there is a law of history and that law of history is immutable in the same way that gravity is. And here's what happens if you try to resist it. You know, you're going to fall in a very horrifying way. And, that, and that's, an, you know, we don't like to think about a God's law of history. We like to think of history in a completely secular, scientific way of economics, politics. But, you know, you wonder when you look at the history of the last hundred years, whether in fact, I mean, it was Nelson Mandela, you know, um, you know, who, who, who stood there and understood that eventually he would find his way. Um, it was, it, the, 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 it was the Pope who eventually, Stalin was once told the Pope objects to your policies. And he says, how many battalions does the Pope command? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two generations later, here's a Pope who presides over the, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Is there a law of history? That, that we have to learn and learn how to align ourselves with? That's the great question of this narrative. And as Mark Twain put it, right, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. Yeah. yeah. The truth of this story, yeah. both of the Joseph story and of the, and of the Moses narrative, is yeah. that we encounter foreign leaders in each generation. Yeah. And we have to be thoughtful in the way that we interact with them. In the advice that we take and in the advice that we lend them and in the in the reality that we craft alongside them. The question inspires a, a lot of reflection, especially in this moment when we're going through um, so much agony, agony and judgment all at the same time. Right. Thank all you, Joel. Thank you, Joel. And, and thank you to all of you who have listened to this episode. And we look forward to to learning with you next time. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. 